All right. Open your Bibles. Romans chapter 1. Last week, uh, we spent all of our time in verses 16 and 17 where Paul gave what I would call more of a, a theological perspective of the gospel. You see, up through verse 17 there in chapter 1, Paul has already used the word gospel six times, basically once every three verses. And being someone who was called by God to share the gospel and, as we know, was faithful to do it, it was no surprise that Paul began this, this, uh, this lengthy theological treatise. That's what you and I call the book of Romans. But it's no surprise that he started it with the gospel. He started this with the very basis of our salvation. And as I said a week ago, and I will go ahead and say it again this morning, the gospel is not asking Jesus into your heart. The gospel is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The gospel is not God can make you into a better you and any other one-liners that you'd like to throw out there. The gospel, as you know, simply means good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? The gospel is clearly stated in, in, uh, in of course, many places, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, it says simply that Jesus Christ died for our sins, okay? He paid the price that you and I deserve. It says that he was buried. He was literally placed in a tomb. And as you know, praise God, he rose again on the third day, proving who he said he was, defeating death along the way. That text simply says the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in that text in verse 2, it says, by this gospel, you are saved. No one-liners, no bumper sticker slogans. By that message, he says, you are saved. Many of you know Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For he says, for there is no other name under heaven. Well, that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? There's no other name under heaven to which men must be saved. Now, you can understand that then, first century, just no different really than today, many people didn't want to hear that message. They just don't want to hear it, okay? And therefore, while Paul traveled in the first century from city to city to city, and you can see all that in the book of Acts, right? Paul was belittled when he gave that message. Paul other times was laughed at. He was mocked. As you know, he was imprisoned. He was also stoned and left for dead. People didn't want to hear the message that he had to share. But because he knew what the gospel had already done in transforming many people's lives, including his own, he said right there in verse 16, chapter 1, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Despite what people say or do to me, I'm not backing down. I will never be ashamed of the gospel. Matter of fact, I believe for Paul, it was just the opposite. I believe it emboldened him. And here's why. Verse 16, still, he says, because the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone 
who believes. Folks, this is a message that the power of God to change the filthy, sin-sick individual who is destined for hell into someone who is called a new creation in Christ, forgiven of their sins, whose eternal destiny now awaits them in the glory of God. What an amazing message it is. And folks, Paul was never reluctant to share that. He had an unashamed boldness, no matter what took place, to share the gospel. He would share no matter what, no matter what might happen to him. And then last week, as we went into verse 17, he continues with this clarification of the gospel. How can I, being unworthy, how can uh, me, being knowing that I'm going to sin again, I know one day I'm going to completely fail God, how can I look to having an eternal home with him? How is that even possible? What does he say in verse 17? He says, because, that word for is also because, Because in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Now, I mentioned last week, folks, that there are some translations that will say a righteousness of God, and others, like I just read, will say a righteousness from God. Now, that's okay, because they're actually both correct. And this is, by the way, great news. Okay, we're being told here that the righteousness of God, okay, through faith in the gospel, through our trusting in him and his death on the cross, that righteousness, God's righteousness is passed on to us. Hence the term, the righteousness from God. It is God's righteousness, absolutely, but then it's passed on to us. It's from him. See, That's that's the mind-boggling part here. When Christ died, he took our sin upon himself. And in return, he gave us his righteousness. You ever just think about that for a second? Folks, listen, how else can you and I be called a child of God? We are not righteous in and of ourselves, under no circumstances. And that's why we need his righteousness imputed to us. That's what theologians call the imputation. What a trade. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. And of course, as he says right here in this text, that, folks, would not have happened if it wasn't for our faith in him. Verse 17, this is a righteousness that is by faith. Just as he said in the previous verse, verse 16, he says, this salvation is for those who believe, okay? Our salvation, this this righteousness that has been imputed to us does not happen by osmosis. It's not because uh, your parents took you to church when you were a little kid. It's not because you can simply raise your hand and, and answer a couple of Bible questions, And it's not because you have some intellectual belief in God. I mean, think about it, folks. The demons believe in God, James says. Satan believes in God. Whenever somebody says, well, I believe in God, 
Okay. <laughs> and? Right? This is a trust that Jesus, in what Jesus did on the cross. It's knowing that you are a sinner and you desire and need forgiveness. We put our faith in Christ's death on our behalf. It's a repentance. It's, it's, repentance and belief are actually two sides of the same coin. You're turning from your old life. That's what repentance means. It's a change of mind, which results in a change of life. You're turning from your old life to follow Christ. To turn to Christ, you've got to turn from something. And obviously, it's a life of sin and rebellion. See? We need to understand that. Paul says himself, back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, he's speaking of himself. He says, I want to be found in him one day. I want to be found in him not having some righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Obviously, you're going to fall very far short. But he says, but that which is through faith in Christ, that's why I want my righteousness. He says, that is the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. It's just like what he says here in Romans 1. Folks, we're all, every one of us are going to stand before Almighty God one day, and that's how we want to present ourselves, in the righteousness of Christ. It's God seeing us through Christ. As I mentioned before, it's like a lens. It's here's God, here's Christ, and here's us. We want to be seen through Christ. When he sees us, he sees Christ. Otherwise, he's still seeing our sin, and we're in big trouble. Now, after we enter, at this point, we're going to enter into verses 18 through following this morning. Paul is now going to shift gears a little bit. He's going to go from God's righteousness to man's unrighteousness. Okay? You might put it this way. He just got through sharing in those first 17 verses. He just got through sharing the specifics of the gospel the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's about to give us the reason why. Why the gospel? Why is the gospel even necessary? And here it is, folks. It's because of the universal corruption of all mankind. A corruption that is so offensive to God, it provokes his wrath. His punishment for all of those who reject the gospel that he just got through talking about. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, folks, this morning I think it's very important that we begin this conversation looking at those words, the wrath of God, okay? In the previous verse, verse 17, we talked about the righteousness of God being imputed 
to you and I. The one that has placed his faith, his trust in the work of Christ on the cross. Jesus took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. I stated earlier how, how this had to take place because we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. None. Zero. Okay? And the reason for that is mentioned here in verse 18. And understand, this is going to be discussed for many verses to follow. Okay? From right here, probably through chapter 3, he's going to discuss this topic. And here it is, folks. The bottom line is because of sin. You've heard me say it before, right? There's only one thing keeping any person out of heaven. One. Sin. Nothing else. Sin. Right? The reason, folks, that I mentioned here in verse 18 is because this is something that we fall very much short on. We don't quite understand that God is a God of wrath. Okay? Because of our sin, notice right here in verse 18, he uses the word godlessness and wickedness. Okay? Because of that, the human race stands condemned before God and is hopeless apart from God's saving grace. Hence, the gospel, right? Jesus came and he died for those sins. So in our natural state, our state as an unbeliever, in our natural state, apart from Christ, the entire world population is under God's judgment, God's wrath. We don't hear about that too much, do we? But he starts off the wrath of God. Therefore, let me just say that before we move forward this morning, I want to say this. Folks, when you give the gospel, when you share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that fact of God's judgment or God's wrath, man's sin, must be shared. People must know why they need the gospel. They need, if you tell them that he's the Savior, why do I need a Savior? What's wrong with me? Right? People don't always, non-believers don't think like we do. People need to know why they need the gospel. They need to know. They don't beat them up, obviously, because we're sinners too. But people need to know that they are sinners and that they are separated from a holy God. And that all of us, and by the way, when you're sharing Christ, always include yourself. You're no different than they are. Okay? But all of us are deserving of God's judgment. Every one of us. See? Being a sinner might be, or using that language, I should say, might be simple to you and I. But for millions of people, folks, they don't look at it that way. Believers don't think of the word sin. The word sin is not a, a, a natural part of their vocabulary. All they do is simply compare themselves with someone worse than they are. Well, at least I'm not that guy. And so forth. There, therefore, I'm heaven bound. That's the mindset, right? They admit they're not perfect. But I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, he's really bad. They need to know that sin 
in all shapes and sizes. Do you understand that, folks? Sin. From the murderer to the person who keeps stealing office supplies from their job. All shapes and sizes. That's what brings them under God's judgment and will keep them out of an eternal heaven. Let me go ahead and just give you an example. I want to show you this short video. You guys know who Ray Comfort is? Some of you may know who Ray Comfort is. It's a very simple, just a real short video, but it's going to show him talking to a couple people, um, witnessing to a couple people. I just want you to notice how he does this because it's important that they know that they're sinners. I know you like that. How that I thought I'd throw the dog up there first. So just, just watch it and for a couple minutes here. Thank you. You had a kidney transplant a year ago? What would have happened to you if you hadn't had that transplant? Uh, probably wouldn't be here. Now, do you think there's an afterlife? Where would you have gone? Uh, there's only two places you can go. You can go to heaven, you can go to hell. One or two. Um, I mean, we either go to hell or heaven. Well, where are you going? I'm going to heaven. Probably heaven. You think you're a good person? Yeah, I try to be. I try to be a good person. Okay. How many lies have you told in your life? Many lies. Maybe about 15, 20%. 20%? Wow. Have you ever stolen something? No. It's not one of those many lies, is it? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever used God's name in vain? I've said oh before, yeah. It's blasphemy. It's very serious. Yeah. Things aren't looking good, Eric. Oh, man. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Yes, I have. Okay, there's good news and bad news. Which would you like first? The bad news first. The bad news is that you've broken three of the Ten Commandments. You're a self-admitted, lying, thieving blasphemer, and you have to face God on Judgment Day. If he judges you by the Ten Commandments, you're going to be innocent or guilty. Hard to say. No, it's easy. Lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterate heart, you'd be guilty like the rest of us. Well, would you go to heaven or hell on that basis? Purgatory. There's no purgatory. I like you said at the beginning, heaven or hell. True. Okay. The Bible says if you hate someone, you're a murderer. That's how high God's standards are. And he's seen your thought life and you're under his wrath. And if you die in your sins, you'd certainly go to hell. The Bible says all liars are their part in the lake of fire. So does it concern you that if you died today and God gave you justice, you'd end up in hell? No. You don't care about your life? I mean, yeah, I do. Yeah. So it does concern you? Yeah, it does. It does. Tell me, what did God do for guilty sinners so he wouldn't have to go to hell? God did something wonderful. Do you know what it was? Forgive them. He forgives everyone. I know that pretty much. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Well, God became a human being 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, who gave his life on the cross to take the punishment for the sin of the world. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. That's what we looked at. You and I broke the law. Jesus came and paid the fine. If you're in court and someone pays the fine, the judge can say, Eric's guilty, but someone's paid his fine. He's out of here. And God can dismiss your case, forgive your sins in an instant, and grant you everlasting life as a free gift, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Just before he died, he cried out, it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. Eric, that means God can forgive all those secret sins. He can wash you clean. He can make you righteous in, sight in an instant because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay. At the moment, Sonny, you're like someone standing on the edge of a plane, 10,000 feet up. He thinks he's going to save him. You'll notice here, yeah, I'm on. 
that he talks about their sin, doesn't he? He talks about heaven and hell. He talks about judgment. But he also, of course, talks about the cross and to, and to forgive. Okay? But he uses their own words to help them to understand that, yeah, I'm a sinner. And the Bible says that, right? That's what the law is for. The law is a schoolmaster, a taskmaster. It shows us that we are sinners. That's what it's there for. Because when you fall, here's the Ten Commandments. Look at them every day. Shoot. That's messed up. <laughs> I can't keep those all the time. And that's the purpose of the law, is to show you, as he used them, that you are a sinner. And just like all mankind, if you die without Christ, you are under the wrath of God. Now, folks, these words for some people instantly throw them off. And I'm sure you know this. Now, for you and me, we're staring at our Bibles this morning, and we're looking at it. We're, we're saying it says the wrath of God. It says it. It's against all men and all women because chapter 3, verse 23, many of you know it, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Now, folks, understand I'm spending time on this this morning. It's important because millions and millions of people cannot handle those words, God and wrath. God and judgment. God and hell. They don't put those words together. They literally hang their eternal destiny on three words. You know what they are. God is love. As if God is one thing and one thing only, and he is love, and therefore in their mind, love wins. Universalism. God is just so loving, as that one man said, God will forgive everybody. And of course he said, no, the Bible doesn't say that. They can't come to grips with the fact that, yes, God is love. There is no question about it. He is many things. But he's also just, isn't he? When he's just, that means there is justice, you see. He is perfectly righteous in how he treats us. Scripture tells us he, he shows no partiality. For example, the good and the bad, okay? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. That's good news. But right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. <laughs> so listen, for all those folks, and hopefully not some of you, but for all those folks out thinking, oh, God is love. It's just that mindset. You too appreciate justice. You do. What if your mom or dad went out for dinner one night and was shot dead for a gang initiation? 
Their life was taken, I say the gang initiation, because their life was taken for no reason whatsoever, none. Not for their money or their car, nothing. You just got to kill somebody. So the police take this man, they catch him, he stands before the court, the judge, and he says, I I just want to say I'm sorry. Maybe sheds a little tear. I won't do it again. The judge says, good, good, you can go now, and releases him. Every person in that courtroom would be absolutely livid, livid, because that would be injustice, wouldn't it? He deserves punishment. You see, we all think the same way. This is why many people, I've seen this, maybe you have too, on TV or live court cases, they'll look at that person and they'll yell, I hope you rot in hell. Anybody seen that? I've seen it. Because they want justice. See. Let me share with you uh, a few Bible verses because I think it's important that we realize God Almighty, the God of Scripture, is not a God of your feelings. (sighs) He is not a God that you simply get to make up in your own head to make you feel better about yourself. Well, the God that I worship will look at my good deeds. Well, the God that I worship, and they keep granting, they just make up this God in their head. Genesis You don't have to turn here. I'm going to go quickly through here, just a few of these. Genesis chapters 6 and 7. You remember the account of Noah, right? For those of us who just went to the Ark Encounter not long ago, you remember the account of Noah outside of eight people who destroyed mankind with a flood. God destroyed all of mankind with a flood. Matter of fact, if I remember right, one of the scriptures says, uh, speaking of the people at that time, they only did evil all the time. God wiped them out. Genesis 18, 19, now you're at the days of Abraham. He, just, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with only Lot and his family escaping. He destroyed those cities with raining down of sulfur. They lived their lives in sexual perversion. They're all dead. He cleaned house. Exodus 14, we all know it well. God destroyed Pharaoh and his army as they pursued the Israelites when they crossed the Jordan River, right? Drowned every one of them. All of them. Dead. Here's one that's maybe a little lesser degree. Remember uh, Moses' sister, Miriam? God struck her with leprosy, didn't he? She was talking smack about Moses because he married a, a Cushan woman, Cushite, Cushite woman. How about where God, we all know this, how about where God used the Israelites to kill all the people in the nations that they would be entering? Remember, they would take over, right? Turn back real quick, if you would, to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
I'll just read for you the command. The command's shorter than reading the story. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. So here it is in the law. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering and you to possess and drives out before you these many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give them your daughters to your sons and your sons your daughters. And it goes on and on. God used the Israelites to pour out his wrath, destroy is the word he used, on these nations. They were all sinful, evil people. He just didn't do it because. Now, God could have used many things. Nobody would have said anything if there was a big earthquake and it swallowed them up. But God used people to do it. The bottom line is God brought his wrath upon these nations. He just happened to use the Israelites to do so. Fast forward, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah says, By the fury of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up. And listen to this. And the people are like fuel for the fire. Did you catch that? Who's keeping the fire going? The people, the burning bodies of the people. A couple more. Jeremiah 7, verse 20. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and on beast, and on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. Wow. Beast, trees, man, doesn't matter. Ezekiel 7, 19, they will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be an unclean thing. Their silver and gold will not be able to save them in the day of the Lord's wrath. They will not satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it has made them stumble into sin. Simply saying... They're living in sin, different ways, many ways. Because of that, there will be the day of wrath for, at that point, the people of Israel. Well, Darren, you know as well as I do that the God of the Old Testament uh, is different from the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was mean, and he was angry, right? Anybody ever heard that one before? I have. Folks, God's wrath, number one, one God across the board, Genesis to Revelation, okay? But God's wrath, whether it be on this earth, matter of fact, Dave talked about this morning as our Bible study going through Daniel. Remember what happened and the wrath that came upon Judah? That's God's wrath. That's God's judgment. When he, he exiled them into Babylon, right? But so whether God's wrath is on this earth or it's looking to eternity, because there's both, 
It's just as clear in the New Testament. Many of us here love to quote verses like John 3.16, probably one of the most well-known verses of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's a good verse to quote. It's a great, it's a great comfort. But yet, just two verses later, in John 3.18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, right? But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. He's condemned. He wants nothing to do with Christ. No thank you. Matter of fact, Adam Clark says about this, he says, whoever it is who doesn't believe, they are guilty of the grossest insult to the divine majesty, and that is neglecting and slighting and despising the salvation which his infinite mercy has provided for them. They are condemned. Never hear that one quoted. How about Ephesians 5? This is one that we went through not too long ago here. Ephesians 5, 5, and 6. For this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater. Man, man, let me just stop there real quick. You notice it doesn't say mass murder, axe murderer, uh, whatever, right? It doesn't, doesn't give you all these horrible, horrendous things. It says immoral, impure, or greedy person. Okay, did you catch that? He says, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let no one deceive you, he says, with empty words. For because of such things, what are those such things? Immorality, impurity, greed. Because of those things, he says, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Another one of those verses, there's not mentioned in our favorites. We don't have it written down in a little three-by-five card, do we? People pass those over. A little closer to home, about right here in Romans chapter 2. Probably just turn a page. Look at verse 5 through 11, Romans chapter 2. He says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. For those who, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and they follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Folks, when he talks about wrath in some of these verses, um, I don't know about you, but it, you, you, you kind of got to go to that, that text in Revelation chapter 20. Because this is ultimately the finality of God's wrath. Okay. In Romans chapter 20, he just gets through talking about the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. 
And he gets to a place that many people just simply call the great white throne judgment. Okay? But this is right before what we call the eternal state. Eternity. New heaven, new earth, right? Starting in verse 11, he says, Then I saw... This is, this, is, this is John under this trance. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the great, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Folks, all of these verses that I just mentioned, and by the way, that's just a small portion of the things we could have talked about, but they all speak on God's wrath. Okay? And by the way, unless, once again, unless he's specifically talking about something that's eschatological, future, right? Eternal. It's something, a punishment in the here and the now. Okay? God has brought or has allowed his judgment on the people of this earth, and he will continue to do so. Okay? And because we all know right here in the Romans, and we're gonna, as we're going to go through from the next few weeks, we are all guilty of sin, and we all deserve judgment. Okay? Don't ever think it's unfair. If it wasn't for God's mercy, all of us would be done in. All of us. We all deserve what's going on here. How good you are, how nice you are, how you grew up, irrelevant. We all fall short of the grandest glory and holiness of Almighty God. So going back to Romans 1.18. And now understanding... That God is love, but God is just, as he just says, the wrath of God. He now says what? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So he says here, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven heaven. It's very simple, folks. It's being revealed from heaven because that is where God is. That is where God's throne is. Heaven is where he, uh, where justice is performed, is where his will is accomplished. That is where Almighty God is. Now, where he says here the word revealed, it's God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. That, that means simply that. It means God's wrath is exposed. It's uncovered. It's made known to all. Okay? It's also, by the way, in the present tense in the Greek, which means it's constantly being revealed. 
And that, of course, is obvious. I mean, if all we do is base it upon just those verses that I read, which were minute according to how many there are, it's obvious of what is taking place. God has illustrated his wrath all throughout the whole of Scripture for thousands of years. And I'm not even including the last, you know, 100 or 200 of all the things that have come to pass on this earth. Many people want to sit here and say, well, that was an evil person, or well, that was a gun's fault, or that was this, or that was that. That's God's wrath upon an evil, horrible, wicked people. Go back and look at all the scriptures that I read earlier. It wasn't karma. By the way, there's no such thing as karma. It's called you reap what you sow. That's what that means. It's not bad mojo. Must have been a bad mojo kind of a day. Right? We hear all this kind of gobbledygook going on in our society today. It was God's judgment for all to see. It has been revealed constantly. For all to see. Okay? So whether people want to believe it or not, or even agree with it, God's wrath from heaven is plain as day for all to see. We just don't have the guts or the knowledge or the warehow to say, no, that's not just mother nature. There is no mother nature. <laughs> There's the almighty hand of God. It's what he allows or he wills. And what he allows sometimes isn't good because it's God's judgment upon man. Now, of course, you say that in front of the media and you will get pummeled. How dare you say such a thing? Because they don't want to see how, how grossly inept and sinful and depraved they themselves are. More or less, these people all around. It's okay to say God wiped out, you know, all of the Canaanites. It's okay to say God wiped out all of Egypt. It's okay when you look at these things in the past, but it's not all of a sudden okay now. As if they're better. I'm here to tell you, we're not. And it's only going to get worse in this world. You will see it revealed more and more. And the reason Paul says is right here in the verse. Because of man's godlessness and his wickedness. Folks, despite what the world thinks, going to church twice a year, I like to call those people creasters. They go to church on Christmas and Easter. Going to church twice a year, feeding the poor, volunteering at some uh, philanthropic organization will not erase the sins that you have committed. It doesn't even begin. It doesn't even pick up the eraser. It can't do it. It's a great thing to help your fellow man. That's a good thing. I encourage people to do that. But no matter how much time that you spend doing these things, we are still dead in our sins if it's not for Christ. Dead in our sins. Describing sin, Paul uses two words, ungodliness and wickedness. Now, you can also use words like unrighteousness. You can use words like lawlessness. But really, they're all focused on one specific meaning. And so in the context, or I should say in the greater context of sin, they're synonymous. 
We can sit here and detail each word. You know, godlessness is simply obviously things that stand opposed to the morality of God and so on and so forth. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, we're dealing with sin, period. Sin. As I said before, of all shapes and sizes. Folks, any way you want to slice it, Romans chapter 5, verse 10, James chapter 4, verse 4, I spoke on a few weeks ago. In our unredeemed state, we are enemies of God. The Bible says, thankfully for you and me, we were enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, children of wrath. Once again, we don't memorize these verses. We like the other ones, don't we? But it's very real. And here in verse 18, he says, The unredeemed suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Folks, due to the fact that every one of us here were born with a sin nature, it's deeply rooted within us. It's, it seems somewhat natural to most people to just sin, to live a life that is contrary to God's holy standards. And it gets worse and worse, and therefore they just literally squash, they suppress God's truth. I said today, you don't even hear about it. If it wasn't for us here, you ain't going to hear about it anywhere else. You ain't going to hear about it in society or culture or the media, the new, nothing. You're going to hear God's truth. We want nothing to do with that. You start giving God's truth, they're going to know who they really are. People don't want to know who they are. People don't want to be told they're sinners in need of a Savior once again. People love sin more than God. I mean, I used to. People would ask me, Darren, why do, why do you do these things? I was honest, because I like it. Is it sinful? Oh, yeah. Was it depraved? Absolutely. But I liked it. Because that was the depraved person that I was. So I know, I, I know that firsthand. I like sin. And sinful people like sin. As you hear people say today, you have your truth and I have my truth, <laughs> which is laughable, obviously. But we hear that. That's your truth. I have mine that's how you suppress the truth. Just change truth. Lord knows we just changed the word reception. recession last week. We'll just change the word truth. We don't want anything to do with it. We can't imagine that Almighty God would bring his wrath upon us. That's us meaning the world. Because like those two people we saw, I'm going to heaven right? I'm a pretty good person. And then he looks at him and he says, well, you're a lying blasphemer adulterer. Well, yeah, there, then there's that. We don't understand. But God is a holy God, folks. And he never condemns without just cause. God doesn't have bad days. The point being, folks, that God's standard is so high because God is so holy. Not a single person on this earth can even come within a million miles of the holiness of God. And therefore, praise God for his mercy. 
because God knew that. And he still sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die, pay the price that through faith, through a simple thing called faith, God will give us eternal life. He will wipe our slate clean. As I said before, he'll see us through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he sees us, he, sees, he doesn't see our sin. It's covered in the blood of Christ. Thank God for the gospel. Because as we move on the next few weeks, I know we went through one verse. <laughs> but as we go on the next few weeks, you're going to see a lot of this total depravity going on. And this is no different in this first century than it is today. And most of you know that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time today. And Lord, I just wanted to spend more time in that one section, God, because people don't understand you. People don't know your nature. Many, many Christians don't understand that you are a God of judgment. You are also a God of wrath. You have literally taken people out. You have killed people, but not unjustly. They are sin sick and perverted and twisted and wicked and evil and every name we can throw in there. Too many times we focus on your love. And, and I understand because, Lord, your love is tremendous. If it wasn't, nobody would be sitting here in this room right now. It is so amazing that we can look back in our lives and know the sin, the rejection that we put forth towards you, the evil we committed, our thoughts and actions, and yet you loved us to the point that you sent Christ to die. You gave us the ability to trust in you. You said, no man can come unto me unless the Father draws him, Jesus said. Lord, you actually draw us to Christ. How awesome the love of God is. But Lord, please never allow us to forget that you are also a God of judgment, of just judgment. Because, Lord, as I've said before, we don't want fairness. Fairness is to say that we go to hell because that's fair. Lord, we don't, we don't want fairness. We want mercy. We want mercy. God, forgive us for the shortcomings that we still commit. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you and become people who honestly just sin less in what we do and who we are. And help us to be faithful in sharing the gospel to a world that is lost, that has no idea and understanding that one day they will be judged. And it's not just for the worst of the worst. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.